Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Today, I want to talk a little bit about benchmarking your code of conduct. This is a question that comes up uh, pretty frequently, and I actually do uh, work with uh, both clients and other interested parties who would like somebody to uh, evaluate their code of conduct and give them some benchmarking tips. So if there's anybody out there, any listeners uh, that are curious about uh, what a independent third party might have to say about their current code of conduct and you'd like to schedule an informal benchmarking conversation, please do get in touch with us uh, at uh, you can email me at eric at moreheadconsulting.com or get in touch with us through the compliancepeat.com website or the moreheadconsulting.com website. Uh, but I wanted to go ahead and talk a little bit about the criteria for benchmarking code of conduct for evaluating a code of conduct. Uh, if you want to do that on your own or, or, or start a process um, internally uh, to review your code, um, I think it's a worthwhile exercise to undertake on a regular basis. Um, the first thing that you want to do when you are benchmarking a code of conduct is you want to um, have uh, taken some time to review other peer codes of conduct. And when I say peer codes of conduct, that is uh, a broad understanding of what a peer might be. And what I mean by that is, let's say that your organization is in manufacturing. Um, if you're going to look at, let's say, a couple dozen codes of conduct, uh, uh, current codes of conduct to kind of get a sense of what's out there, um, I would say that you want to take a decent sample of that, you know, two dozen codes, like eight, uh, like, like a quarter or maybe even a third or, or maybe even half, depending on your perspective, uh, that are not in manufacturing. So you want to definitely have organizations that are in your space, in your vertical, but you also want to cross-pollinate. You want to get a good mix of organizations in that uh, review group, that benchmarking group that you're looking at. And why do you want to do that? Well, if you look at a code of conduct, uh, the risk topics and uh, important items, important discussions that were, are within a code of conduct, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of overlap in those subjects uh, regardless of the industry that you're in. Uh, regardless of the industry that you're in, you have uh, to discuss with clients or with uh, stakeholders rather about the use of corporate assets. Regardless of the industry that you're in, you need to discuss harassment and discrimination with the stakeholders in your organization. Regardless of the or the industry you're in, you need to talk about speaking up and reporting and t asking questions and reporting concerns. So there are lots of commonalities uh, within a code of conduct. Uh, now, there are different approaches to discussing those various topics. And that's one of the reasons why you want to get a broad sample. So if you're in manufacturing, you also probably want to get a couple of codes uh, from organizations that are in uh, uh, retail or finance or uh, pharmaceutical uh, uh, industry or, or what have you. I mean, just take a broad look at this. 
because um, because you're looking at topics again that are going to be covered in any code of conduct. Uh, if there's 20 risk topics in a code of conduct, I would say it's fair to, it's fair to say that a dozen to 15 of those topics are going to carry over uh, in most every um, type of organization. Um, they're just topics that that are going to be consistent. When you have people, you have those risks. So that's the first thing: is the pool of peer organizations. I think you want to have it be very broad. The other thing to consider when you're looking at codes is uh, not every code is perfect, and not every code has every aspect uh, uh, of a code that you may or may you may like. And some codes may have things you don't like uh, and things you do. Uh, so, for instance, there may be discussion within the code, uh, the, the benchmarked codes, benchmarking codes that you're looking at of your peer organizations that talk about um, these various topics and, and you like the discussion, but you don't like the design. You don't like the way they've uh, done the graphic design or you don't like uh, uh, the way they use photography. And in some codes, they might re look really, really slick, but when you read the actual language of the code, it's legalese, and it's not something that you'd want in your code of conduct. So don't look for um, uh, necessarily look for a pool of codes where everything is perfect, because you're not going to find that. Uh, find uh, different codes with different aspects that you like, and I think that's that makes a good pool. So what do you want to look for when you're evaluating either a pure code of conduct or evaluating your own, evaluating your own conduct, code of conduct? Well, I think that there are some pretty key uh, uh, categories that, that you'd want to review or score in your mind when you're uh, evaluating the effectiveness of your code and, and benchmarking your code. And I can really break those down basically into about seven uh, topics. The first is what I would call tone from the top or messaging from the top. And that is most often most often encompassed in a code of conduct by that front piece CEO uh, letter, letter from the chairman uh, that kind of sets off uh, most codes these days, if, if, not, if not every code. Uh, some codes still don't have that, that uh, introductory message, but most codes do. So that's that's a key uh, co a key uh, tone from the top message. But there are other ways to get tone from the top within your code of conduct. Uh, one that I've seen used uh, a few times here in the last few years, and I think can be really effective, is having pull quotes from various leaders throughout your organization. So perhaps every couple of pages, or at uh, at the beginning of different uh, topic sections of your of your code, maybe you have a quote from the VP of marketing, maybe you have a quote from the general counsel, maybe you have a quote uh, from the chief uh, human resource officer. Uh, you know that brings tone from the top from multiple sources, and it also breaks up the text and the graphic design of of a code of conduct with a pull quote that can maybe succinctly describe. Or, or set out a, a key concept or element of one of the topics that you want to discuss within your code of conduct. That's another way to draw in tone from the top. Uh, second area I look at is readability of the code of conduct. You don't want legalese. You don't want overly long sentences. You don't want dense structure. Uh, you don't want a extremely high grade level. We've talked before uh, in this podcast and on uh, webinars that I've done about code of conduct development in the past. I know that for years, I don't know if they still do this, but for years, uh, SCCE used to recommend um, uh, grade level eight as your target uh, grade level for your code of conduct. That's pretty hard to do uh, when you're covering subjects like anti-corruption or trade controls. 
Um, I think a, a more realistic goal is somewhere between grade level 10 and grade level 12. When you have a code of conduct where you're starting to have grade level 13, 14, 15, that's where you start to have a problem. And when I say grade level, I'm basing this on one of the more common measurements, which is the Flesch-Kincaid uh, grade level, English grade level scoring method. Uh, that, that particular uh, algorithm, rather, uh, you uh, can find tools online uh, to measure uh, the grade level of any English text um, uh, on the Flesch-Kincaid scale, and it also is uh, built in to Microsoft Word. Uh, when you do that spelling check uh, uh, in, within a Word document, uh, there's an option you can click under the options where it will give you the word count and will also give you the grade level. So if you are interested in trying to find out what the grade level of your code is, it's relatively easy to do either through Microsoft Word or some other application. You can find other tools online. Just search for Flesh Kincaid. But you want to keep that grade level I think reasonably between grade level 10 and 12 can be a little bit higher, can be uh, maybe, you know, pushing grade level 13. But beyond that, I think you're starting to get to a point where it's not going to be comprehensible by a wider group of English speakers. Uh, and now the other thing to keep in mind about grade level and one of the cool things about this uh, scoring model is it's not just looking for vocabulary. It's not just giving you a high score because you're using, uh, as my dad used to say, 50 cent words. Uh, it's, it's also sentence structure, overly long uh, uh, sentences and paragraphs, uh, repetitive uh, uh, word usage. There are other things that cause the grade level to go up uh, beyond just um, uh, the, uh, the, the the actual uh, vocabulary that's being used. So keep that in mind as well. So it'll help you uh, um, highlight if there's a, an issue with readability, readability generally within the document. Another uh, category that I look for uh, when I'm evaluating a code of conduct is how reporting is handled uh, in the code. Uh, the rule for uh, providing resources and instruction around reporting, speaking up, asking questions, reporting concerns is the rule is this early and often. I would want to see in that CEO message, that second or third page of the document, some mention of speaking up and reporting. I'd want to see uh, in the first uh, larger section of the code where you're describing what the code is and what everybody's responsibility is, I'd want to see a strong and obvious and you know really clear discussion of reporting uh, in there. Uh, I also would want to see retaliation uh, be um, uh, mentioned in conjunction with reporting because we all know the number one reason people don't come forward when they observe misconduct is because they fear retaliation. So if you wanna have a successful reporting mechanism, you need to discuss and address retaliation very clearly in your code of conduct. Again, probably wanna have a line about it in the CEO message, and then a discussion in that first big section of the code that talks about responsibilities and expectations. And then you probably want to mention reporting again. I often encourage clients that are updating their code of conduct or working with me to update their code of conduct to have a reiteration of the reporting um, avenues uh, either on the last page of the document or on the back cover of the document. Uh, so it's really easy to find and people um, are, are familiar with the avenues available for reporting. That is a key, key measurement of the effectiveness of a code of conduct. 
Another thing that I look for and that I, I measure against is the uh, use of values and discussion of ethics and ethical focus in the code of conduct. And you're saying, oh, well, that's maybe stylistic. No, it's not. Remember, uh, the organizational sentencing guidelines talk about ethics, not just compliance. It's compliance and ethics. And so there's an expectation also in the um, guidance from our friends at the Department of Justice that ethical decision making and, eth and, and, and an ethical um, perspective from the organization should be present in these documents. These expectations are ethical expectations, not just that you're going to follow rules uh, to the letter, but that people are going to act ethically and make decisions in an ethical way. So looking for values and how those values are discussed in the code, looking for a discussion of ethical decision making in the code, that's something that I always look for. And I think that's a really important aspect that ought to be peppered throughout the document. Uh, another area that I look at, and we've already talked about this a little bit in the beginning of this podcast, and that's uh, the risk topic coverage. Uh, the best way to do that is to do a benchmarking exercise and to look again at organizations in your vertical, in your space, but also uh, the broader group of organizations. What are topics that people are discussing in their code? Uh, these things change. They don't change uh, uh, necessarily rapidly, but they do change. Five you know, years ago, 10 years, certainly 10 years ago, there have been no mention 10 years ago of uh, social media. Uh, five years ago, it was probably about 50-50. Now, I think most organizations, if they've updated their code in the last couple of years, now talk about social media, whether it's a separate section or whether it's discussed in the broader context of communications. That is a key thing that we find in codes of conduct these days. Um, uh, a more robust discussion of privacy, particularly consumer privacy, is something that has been changing in codes of conduct over the last couple of years because the law is changing, both here in the United States and, and overseas. Uh, another key uh, area that is, you know, undergone some change that uh, perhaps hadn't for a few years is the discussion around harassment and respect in the workplace. That, because of the issues that have come to the forefront in organizations and with individuals here in the United States in particular over the last few years, that's a topic that's undergone revision in many codes of conduct over the last few years. So these things do change. And so it's valuable to do a benchmarking exercise on a periodic basis and to really think about the coverage that you have. Not just that the topics are mentioned in your code, but how are they discussed? And is that consistent with what the expectations are today? versus when it was drafted maybe five, 10 years ago. Uh, another area that I look at is how the code of conduct incorporates learning aids or comprehension aids. And now those are most commonly things like uh, definitional boxes, uh, bulleted lists instead of dense paragraphs, uh, Q and A's or scenarios uh, that break down complicated issues but put them in a narrative format. Um, uh, other ways to highlight information, uh, flow charts, decision trees, uh, using you know graphics in an, in an interesting and creative way to highlight important information. Um, that's what I'm thinking about when I think about comprehension aids or learning aids, and those are really important. This is a graphical document. This is a visual document as well as a uh, a written document, a legal document. That is a big change from 10 or 15 years ago. Um, it's no longer just a, uh, a text document. So let's leverage those resources. And that leads me to the last thing, and that's design. 
the code of conduct serves a lot of purposes for an organization uh, these days. And one of those purposes is a marketing purpose. We're marketing compliance and ethics to our audience. So it should look like a marketing piece. It should look good. It should have photography. It should have rich colors. It should reflect your brand. If you have products, those products should be in there. If you have people and facilities, which you probably do, uh, there ought to be some sort of representation about, about those um, uh, important pieces of your organization in that uh, document. It should reflect your organization, and it should look good. And that's really important. So those are a few items to think about when you're evaluating your code of conduct or benchmarking your code of conduct. Um, as I said, I'm happy to uh, work with any organization that would like uh, somebody uh, independent to take a look at their code and give them some uh, feedback along these lines. Uh, do get in touch if you're interested. But until next time, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.